It is an unfortunate fact that the elderly are taken advantage of every day. While the estate planning and government assistance laws are quite complex and ever-changing, how do you keep track of them all? Through elder law attorney Michael Cohen. He's there for you to answer any of your planning questions in a way that you and your loved ones will easily understand. Mike has devoted his entire career to dutifully informing and protecting our parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, anyone in need. Join us now to learn more about estate planning essentials with Michael Cohen and co-host Don Crawford Jr. Here now are Michael and Don. And my name is Don Crawford, Jr., the owner of KWM Radio and co-host of his estate planning essentials program, currently and internally seeking to protect your family, your assets, and you. And once again, I'm joined by our co-host, our partner, my friend, my attorney, Michael Cohen. Hello, Michael. Hello, Don. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Welcome to another program. We're grateful for your time and your expertise. Uh, I'm excited that I read... This morning, which was um, something you may have seen also about the fact that there's this new Alzheimer's drug that just came out um, that there, that sounds very promising. I can't pronounce it. I don't know if you can pronounce it less than NAMAB or something, but I know you're the chair of the Dallas chapter of the Alzheimer's organization, and I know that you saw this too. Yeah, I did see that earlier this week, um, mm-hmm. and the and in fact, it was an announcement made prior to being in the press um, that we were advised about it. This is very exciting, maybe the most exciting news that we've ever heard, uh, because what it would do is, for people at least in the early stages, they'd almost get back to a normal life with this particular drug. It has to get drug approval, of course, by the FDA, but that's on the fast track. That's great. They said that patients taking the drug showed a 27% decrease in cognitive decline compared to a control group, according to developers Biogen, based in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and Tokyo, Japan. Um, so that's, I mean, extremely promising, and I'm, I'm glad we're promoting that. We also, uh, you have been relentless in trying to stop this insidious disease every way you possibly can, especially by giving up your time. And now that you're basically leading this Dallas chapter of the Alzheimer's Organization, I want to mention the walk, which is Saturday, November the 5th, uh, to the walk to prevent or basically eradicate Alzheimer's disease. And you've been doing that walk for how long now, Michael? Michael's Marchers, that is. I don't know how many years. Yeah, yeah right. How many years I've been doing. But, but, you know, there's walks actually all around the area. So there's mm-hmm. even walks uh, uh, every week. There's a different walk. Wow. Uh, one in Grandscape. Uh, so there's like seven or eight walks in the area. I'm doing the one on November 5th, like you mentioned. Well, good. Well, I'll be there. Uh, you'll be there. And if everybody wants to join us, just go to uh, Michael's Marchers. Is it, what is it? Is it Alzheimer's.org, Mike, or is there a local website address? Well, you, could, you could do that. You could look uh-huh. at the Alzheimer's Association website uh-huh. and you choose the walk in your area. Or you could go to my website if you want to join our walk team, which is um, Dallas elderlawyer.com and you can certainly join by uh, our team and we would love for anybody to attend uh, if they would like it. So okay. and we're all marching together to try to end the disease and 
whether it be for research or helping caregivers. Yeah. Um, a lot of different issues that are involved, and certainly we'd love to eradicate this, this yeah. disease. It's awful, and it, it just the, all the stories I hear, and they seem like they're endless, but so is um, your determination to help stop it. So thank you for that. And typical Michael Cohen, someone I've known for almost a decade now, and uh, someone who just um, really throws his heart into something like this, like he does his work. And we're going to talk about his expertise when it comes to being an attorney and government assistance and protecting the family. And today, Michael, you want to talk about simple wills and the planning of those. Well, or the problems with simple wills. Sometimes simple wills can be fine. By the way, since we're mentioning Alzheimer's, I'm switching gears a little bit. Sure. Another common question would be, if somebody has Alzheimer's, can they sign a will or any huh. other legal documents for that matter? Interesting. And the question is, if depends on their level of capacity. So a lot of times we get a geriatric psychiatrist or psychologist, somebody who specializes the mind to determine if the person has enough capacity to execute a will or a power of attorney for that matter. The, the level of capacity for a will is actually less than a power of attorney that gives the ability to make gifts because you want to be able to, uh, when you, during your life, you need to be able to be in control of your assets, take care of yourself generally, uh, as opposed to at death. Uh, so uh, actually the level of capacity is different for either donat- for donation, making gifts, versus capacity to sign a contract, versus capacity to execute a will. But anyway, uh, that, <laughs> that wasn't intended to be a part of the the topic today. But sure. since we mentioned Alzheimer's, um, just to let y'all know uh, that a lot of times the attorney talks with the doctor and says, "Here's the level of capacity needed right. to do a test to determine if there is sufficient capacity to execute this document." And that way, too, when they sign the document, it's less likely that if there was a potential will contest or a problem with a document, we would have see if the person had capacity or not. Even title companies want to make sure that the person has capacity. And if they see on the power of attorney, uh, sometimes if they see shaky handwriting or something like that, they may want some proof that the person had capacity when they signed whatever it is, whether it be a deed or whether it be a power of attorney or whatever it may be. Uh, so sometimes that, um, uh, in fact, just earlier today, uh, I had an attorney in New Jersey who had sent me the power of attorney on, they want me to do a deed for some property here in Texas. <laughs> and uh, I said, uh, I looked at the signature and I said, well, just want to let you know uh, that, uh, you know, some title companies might have some issues with this. Right. So anyway, uh, Getting back to our topic about simple wills, sometimes simple wills are more than fine, but sometimes they're not adequate enough. They're not adequate insurance. So the uh, today, what made me think about what the, the case that I was thinking about was a husband and wife who have one child. Uh, the child is disabled and is on Medicaid, which is a means-tested public benefit, which provides drug costs and a little bit of income. The if you're single, the income you can get up to is $841 unless um, housing is provided for you or um, 
food is provided for you, and then there could be a reduction of that uh, SSI by roughly a third. But in any event, so if the that's a very valuable that drugs are the most important thing generally, uh, because a lot of times different drug costs are very expensive. Part of the problem on that that drug that was last year it was approved uh, that was a problem uh, for in connection with Alzheimer's was its its expense. Uh, and uh, a lot of times, uh, uh, and if it's not covered by, let's say, Medicare or Medicaid, it's pretty very expensive for the general public to uh, be able to handle. So um, drug costs are very uh, are very important to have coverage for because so many drugs are very expensive these days, and especially in today's time where it seems like everybody's thinking, uh-oh, recession, recession, and... Um, uh, in, in, or inflation, uh, whatever your thoughts might be, people I see now seem to be very, very concerned about their funding. Well, yeah. if you have a simple will, in our fact situation, the person, the husband was fine. Let's say he's in his uh, upper 60s and the wife is, let's say, middle 60s, but she's had a stroke and they have a disabled child on Medicaid. Uh, well, problem number one, uh, if you have a simple will, and husband gives everything to wife, the typical I love you will, uh, then what ends up happening? Well, it may be no problem at all, but let's say that either she has another stroke and needs long-term care. Well, if he died first, she gets everything. They have no long-term care insurance. They have inadequate income to pay for that care. So that means that the assets would have to be spent down to $2,000, and they have more than a couple, they have a couple pieces of property. So one property would have to, their interest would have to be sold in the second property. Oh, but by the way, that property is where the son lives. Hmm. Uh-oh, where is he going to live if you have to put the property up for sale? Okay, this is a problem. Uh, so uh, then the, the and this would be a problem for not only the son, the simple will, but also for the wife because we have to spend down all of her resources. Okay, so problem one, should we do a will that says if she's disabled, if my wife is disabled at the time I met death, it goes into a trust that doesn't count for Medicaid called a special needs trust? You could. Or should we have it go to her automatically in a special needs trust? When I die... It goes into a special needs trust. If, if she doesn't need Medicaid, then it's just used for her health, education, maintenance, and support at the trustee's discretion. Hmm. Uh, so we give the option. So we one of the things that we would have to be talking to client about is which way do you want it to go? The wife might say, well, I'll take my chances because I want to be in charge completely and if it's a special needs trust for my benefit, who's going to be in charge and do I trust that individual? It gets into, do you trust? I don't know. We'll see. We're going to have a design meeting in the near future. Um, all right, so problem one would be if she had gets the money, then it would have to be spent down. Now, the good news is also for long-term care Medicaid, when you're married, uh, there's no transfer penalty between spouses. What does that mean? Normally, if you give away assets... They say, oh, you did it on purpose if it was done within five years, at least for long-term care Medicaid. 
However, one of the exceptions to the rules is transfers between spouses. Why? Because they look at the assets of both the husband and the wife if, if both of them are alive. Mm-hmm. So if we transfer the assets to the husband and she, he had all the assets, there's no transfer penalty. And if he died first and he's older and men live a shorter life expectancy generally than women, well, then everything would go in a trust for the benefit of the uh, wife, and it all would not have, everything would not, nothing would have to be spent down. The question is, does she want to be in control and have it outright, uh, or should we have it automatically go into a trust? That mm-hmm. will be a discussion that needs to be made. Sure. This also means, the, when I say partition, we have to look at the tax issues. Is there something that uh, we would might lose a step up in basis? In other words, if I had some property with my spouse, if my if I give everything to one spouse, if the wrong spouse dies first, <laughs> uh, in other words, let's say uh, the wife had died first, then the husband doesn't get a step up in basis on the when she dies if the property has been partitioned to him as his sole and separate property, he would take her basis, and if he wanted to sell the property at a later date. He would have to pay capital gains tax on the full appreciation, if assuming it wasn't a homestead. Uh, and and so uh, you would have to look at the facts. So on anything transferred, we'd also have to about, talk about capital gains tax issues. When you give something to somebody that you acquired that has appreciated, the one who receives the property, it's the what's called basis or value when you acquired the property. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you were married... And uh, one spouse dies in a community property state like Texas, at least, then you get a full step up to the value as the date of death. In other words, if I bought something for $100,000 and it was worth $250,000 at the time that my spouse passed, I would not have to, and it was owned still by both of us at the time of our death or her death, then uh, the husband would get the $250,000 new basis, and there would only be capital gains tax on the appreciation from excessive 250000 Okay. All right. Sorry if it's getting kind of complicated here, but I'm just saying that there's a lot of little issues that you have to consider when you make these, when you do these different type of things. And so let's say you said, oh, I don't want to do that yet. Uh, well, then that means i got to look at the power of attorney. Do I want the power of attorney to have extra powers, like the ability to partition assets at a later date? Oh, I'm okay now. Oh, if I'm ill later on, then I might do a partition agreement. Okay. All right. So we could put in the power of attorney, not just a statutory general power of attorney. In other words, a general power of attorney has, there's a kind of a form that the state legislature has, but that's not sufficient to partition assets. So you have to have extra language. Okay. Including gifting. Yeah. So then you have to look at the financial power of attorney. So you see the simple will gets into a little bit more complicated than, than most people realize. <laughs> right. And, and and then in addition, I might add on the power of attorney, on their homestead, they may want to have the ability to uh, do different types of trust. Let's say she got it all out right and um, uh, that there, she said, you know, I want to make sure I just get it out right uh, if I'm okay at the time of my husband's death and then I'll deal with it later on. Well, there are certain types of trust that we can create. Uh, if, if um, let's say that 
she wants to protect her assets but subject to a five-year look-back, and uh, she lost mental capacity, we would need to put in the power of attorney the ability to do different types of trust planning, giving the agent the ability to do a trust at a later date if the person lacked capacity. There's various types of trust uh, that could be considered here. If her income is too great, there would be an income trust. If the son was only on Social Security disability, you would do what's called a sole benefits trust. Mm -hmm. If if we thought that she wanted to not lose that step-up in basis and not have the assets uh, countless for Medicaid for her, we would do a, a, a some form of what's called an intentionally defective grantor trust, which is a trust that you have some elements of control, uh, and so you would have the tax advantages. It could be designed in a way where there's, it's tax neutral. Just think of it that way. It's mm-hmm. tax neutral, whereas it wouldn't count as an asset for Medicaid, subject to the five-year look back. Anyway, okay. there's lots of different types of trust, and so... That means you need to have that in the power of attorney. So what the answers to the questions are going to be from the clients are going to, the plan is going to depend on what they want. Um, and it, then it gets, you know, so then, of course, also in the little, you're going to need to have a special needs trust for the benefit of the son. Whether there's a special needs trust for the spouse or not immediately, or you could say, well, we'll look and see if anybody's disabled at the time of death and then we'll have a contingent special needs trust for the benefit of any beneficiary. But then who's going to be the trustee? <laughs> There's limited people that they trust. Right. And so, okay, I'll have my brother, and he, well, does he familiar with government benefit rules? What happens if brother can't do it? Oh, maybe my nephew. Well, maybe. Is he wanting to do that? Is he willing to accept that? What happens? There's nobody else that we trust. Well, there are companies called pool trust. There's hmm. a, organizations that have pool trust. So in the will, you may have to say, well, if nobody's willing to serve as trustee that we feel comfortable with, if person number one or person number two can't, then maybe we could put the assets into what's called a pool trust, where it's a big, like, special needs trust, um, where a charitable organization like the ARC of Texas would be in charge and why is it important for a third party to do uh, what's called to have a third party trust, somebody else's funds, mom and dad's funds, uh, when you have a special needs trust? Because there would be no payback to the government after death. If the son had inherited, not only uh, he might be able to create his own trust, either through the court or guardian, etc. Uh, but if he did with his own funds, then the uh, the government would be a remainder beneficiary. However, I should also mention <laughs> that they, if somebody was wise enough that e- even um, if the person was, uh, the beneficiary was on Medicaid, then you could actually go to court and reform a will after somebody dies, but that's more expensive. Uh, under, tex- under the Texas Estates Code, a person, if it's for either tax reasons or Medicaid reasons, somebody's will could be changed after death to reform the will so that the person doesn't lose public benefits. But that's a lot more expensive, so you usually don't want to do that. So, Oh, and one other problem. <laughs> you know, we talked about the uh, real estate uh, that was owned. Well, pool trust companies generally won't accept real estate. So that means you'd have to put the property up for sale. 
Well, but that's where the child lives. So what are you going to do? Are you going to have to say that the property has to be sold? Maybe. Well, we'll have to talk with the client about what, that, what, what they would like to have happen uh, and go over this issue because very few pool trust companies, there's like four in Texas that have a, a big pool trust where there's a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of disabled Texans that put money into an account and they bank, invest that money as the trustee. So you got professional management. It's kind of like a Walmart approach. Um, uh, you have a volume discount. Mm-hmm. But you have to have cash for them to invest. Well, so there was the real estate issue, the trustee issue. Is she going to be disabled? The child going to be disabled? Do you have a power of attorney that gives the ability to do transfer planning, the ability to partition the assets, the ability to create trust, the ability to protect their own homestead, to have what say a ladybird deed? But if you have a ladybird deed, if it goes to the child directly, what would happen there? Oh, well, we got a problem in this particular case because. Labor deeds enhanced life estate deed, which protects the home from the claim of the government if, if the person uh, who receives is, is is on Medicaid at the time of their death, if there's not a surviving spouse. In this case, there's a disabled child, so that would be an exception. But if the child received that money directly, it'd be a problem because then they would have too much assets. So that's another reason why you'd have the special needs trust uh, for the benefit of the disabled child. I'm going to have to have you come up for air right now because this is so much information. The topic is simple wills, and this is anything but simple. This is all very complicated. The beauty of this, and you and I are doing this over the phone today because we can't meet uh, in person for this program, unfortunately, but I know if I were sitting in your office that you wouldn't be reading anything, that this has just come so naturally to you and you're just you're talking to the audience today as if you're talking to someone who's sitting with you uh, at your offices there um, in Dallas, and I appreciate that so much. I even like the fact that you laughed when you talked about when you said, "But there's one one problem with that," and then chuckled because then I chuckled because these aren't simple; these are complicated. No matter how simple you think your state is, your situation is. Oh, everything goes to my wife, nice and simple. It doesn't matter. It does not work that way. It never has. It never will. There's always snags, and that's the whole point of probate and other other legal uh, systems and issues that are in place to verify that this is what you want when you're disabled or when you pass away. Uh, you need to get verification for what you have in place, and the best way to do that is to attend Michael's next workshop, and that is scheduled for this Thursday, October the 6th at 10 o'clock. And these used to be online because of the pandemic, but now they're in person and they're free and they're very educational and enlightening when it comes to other people's estate planning and yours as well, because you get to go around the room and ask Michael a question about your individual circumstances. Is that all right, Michael? Yeah, we just ask people what they want to know, and then I literally write them on a board and through this two-hour free estate planning essentials workshop, uh, which could be on the estate planning. It could be about Medicaid. It could be veterans benefits. It could be about tax issues. We don't know what the questions are going to be. Uh, we write down those questions, and we answer those questions in those two hours, and we'll give a presentation on general estate planning uh, as well. It's free, no obligation. If you do go to the free estate planning essentials workshop, uh, then we also give the opportunity, but not the requirement, of course, that if you wanted to have a free one-hour vision meeting with us as with me as well, uh, then we give you that opportunity. No obligation. It's just a, a chance to look at your own situation to make sure that you protect 
uh, you and your loved ones the way you want under your own terms and conditions and to ensure that things are handled the way you would like. To go to that free estate planning essentials workshop, really all you have to do is call 214-720-0102. That's 214-720-0102. Or sign up at that same website that we mentioned earlier about the walk, um, which is uh, Dallas, D-A-L-L-A-S, L-E-L-D-E-R, lawyer.com, dallaselderlawyer.com. So whether it is that you want to sign up for the free estate planning workshop, if you want to join our walk team, it's all at the same location at that DallasElderLawyer.com site. Or dial 214-720-0102, 214-720-0102, if you want to do things the old-fashioned way to sign up for Michael's next workshop. Michael, we've got about two minutes left in the program. Some final caveats on simple wills. Yeah, I'll tell you one good thing that, you know, in a, whereas if I, in their situation, it was good to have a will Mm -hmm. because if you had a trust, a special needs trust and a revocable trust, you can't do that for a spouse. In this case, the spouse had had a stroke. So in this case, it would have been a will with a uh, special needs trust. So in some situations, it's better to do a will. In other situations, it's better to do a trust. And so every... So just another one of those, you kind of, what's the best and what it is that you want to plan for? And uh, if you're planning and saying, oh, you're concerned about spouse getting Medicaid or not losing and spend down, well, then we do a will plan in this particular case. However, if we thought everybody was going to be okay for five years and then we're concerned about the spouse uh, not needing care for five years, well, we might go a trust route. So every situation is different. So we have to say, what's important to you, client? What is your goal? And then we just try to achieve the goals of the client. And that's the beauty of the workshops. Everybody's situation is different. So, therefore, everybody typically has unique questions that they want to ask that truly only applies to them. But there are so many variables that have to be considered. So, Michael can only address it in general terms because he doesn't know all the specifics and facts of that individual circumstances. But at least it gives you some perspective of um, where you are, what you need, and most importantly, Michael Cohen's talents and expertise, which I, I think are matchless, having known him for so long, and all the more reason why you should attend his next workshop and then attend the next free meeting as well, which is a vision meeting where you get to meet with him alone for free um, for an hour to address your personal issues. To sign up for that, dial 214-720-0102. In that workshop, sign up is 214-720-0102 phone number or go to DallasElderLawyer.com, DallasElderLawyer.com. Our Dallas Elder Lawyer, Michael Cohen, I thank you, sir, very much. Thank you, Don. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. A leading estate planner practicing law for decades in Dallas, Texas, Michael Cohen is ready to educate you about the Texas and federal laws. The next step to that end is to attend his next workshop by going to his website, which is DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com and sign up for that free estate planning essentials workshop. Or you can also call him by dialing 214-720-0102. 
That's 214-720-0102. A talk show host on KAAM for eight years now, Michael Cohen is the person you want to evaluate what could currently be a rather insufficient estate plan. Make certain that is not the case and that it is created and completed your way by signing up for his next free workshop today.